bless the Lord, oh my soul. What a joy it is to be here with you. Normally when I'm with you, I talk trash about your cowboys, but y'all are having a good season right now, so I can't, I can't really say anything. I just will quote my favorite pastor, Stephen A. Smith. <laughs> just be patient. What can go wrong will go wrong. All right, all right. Now that we got that, now that we got that out the way. What a joy to be here with you. I called your pastor a couple weeks ago, like I do. I'm looking at the calendar knowing I'm going to be with you all. And uh, I was like, um, you know, Pastor, what do, what do you want me to preach? You know, and I'm hoping he'd say, man, just whatever the Lord gives you. Um, he didn't say that. Um, he said, I need you to preach out of Revelation. I'm like, are you serious right now? Um, but I got to tell you, and I want you to meet me in Revelation chapter 12. That's where we're going to be today. I want you to tell, uh, I want to just tell you, as I have just been um, in the study on my face before the Lord, um, just working on this text in my own heart, uh, the Lord has really ministered deeply to my own soul. Uh, so if no one's going to leave this eight o'clock service blessed today, it's going to at least be me. Uh, because there, there is a word for us uh, in this place, tucked away out of Revelation chapter 12. Let me pray for us, and then off we will go. Father, we thank you today. In the name of Jesus, whether at Plano or any of our other campuses, no one is here today by accident. Everyone is here today by divine assignment. Even first-time guests, Lord God, even people who think that they just kind of happened into one of our campuses today, they didn't just happen in here. I believe when Adam and Eve were searching for a fig leaf to hide under in the garden, you ordained that each of us would be here today to hear this word right now. And so, Father, we open our hearts to what you would say and speak to us from this passage in the book of Revelation. I pray, Father God, that you would Stand in my body, think with my mind, speak with my tongue, those things you'd have us know, say, and do. I pray, Lord God, that yes, there is a lot of imagery in this text, some of which we will have to work through. We make no apologies for that, but I pray at the end of the day, Lord God, that it would be clear, plain, practical, that you would give us something to hold on to that would revolutionize not just our hearts and our lives, but that would pulsate through us so that we might share it with others and they be blessed as well. Lord God, I pray that as your word goes forth, that your spirit would do his work of drawing people to himself, that people would, would respond to the power of your word. I pray that the seed of your word would fall on good ground, that it would take root and produce great fruit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In 2009, there was an Israeli woman, true story, by the name of Anat. An Israeli woman by the name of Anat. Anat had a young adult daughter at the time, and this young adult daughter uh, decided to celebrate her mother's birthday uh, by blessing her. One of the ways she wanted to bless her mother, Anat, was she was getting tired of looking at her mama's mattress. Her mama had slept on this same mattress for all of her life. And so Anat, uh, unbeknownst to her mother, it was a surprise, uh, uh, ordered a new mattress, wanted to bless her mother with a new kind of high-end mattress. And so the people, the company brought the mattress in and they took the old mattress out. When Anat, when Anat found out about this, she was not pleased. Because what Anat's daughter didn't realize, true story, was that Anat 
had been tucking away her life savings inside that mattress to the tune of almost $1 million. And now this mattress was God knows where. Some landfill. They never found it. Anat had been sleeping on riches all her life and was never able to experience the benefits. My concern today is that there are a lot of Christians who are sleeping on abundant resources. But you are not experiencing the fullness of what God has for you. Lest you think I'm making this up, I want you to hear now the words of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians that were actually repeated by the Apostle Peter in his first epistle. He says that when we got saved, that there is an inheritance laid up in the heavenlies for us. Paul would go on to say, when you got saved, you were blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You've got everything you need and then some to live the life God has called you to live. That's why one of the most inaccurate prayers we could ever pray is, God, God, give me more of you. You got all of God you'll ever need. Now, I get the sentiment behind that prayer. What you're really saying is I want to experience more of you. Actually, that prayer should be the other way around. Does God have more of you? Our problem, here's what I'm trying to say, is not a resource problem. We have all of the resources we need. Our problem is actually an application problem. It is applying what has been laid up in the heavenlies to our day-to-day experience in this life. You were created for victory. You were not created for defeat. And yet the truth of the Christian life, not just for you, but for me as well, it's one of the most frustrating things about the Christian life is all of us know what it's like to be ensnared in in cycles of defeat. I'm saved, but I just can't kick that alcohol habit. I'm saved, but I just can't stop lying. I'm saved, but I can't stop gossiping and slandering about folk. I'm saved and have received the forgiveness of God through Christ. But it's, it's so hard for me to forgive other people and bitterness has taken a root in my heart. I'm saved, but I'm walking in bitterness. Why is it that I'm not walking in victory and you're in good company? Paul in Romans chapter 7 would just cry out, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Our problem is not a resource problem. Our problem is laying hold to what is already ours in Christ and applying it to the day-to-day situations of our lives. If there's one word that sums up Revelation 12 in our text today, it is the word victory. Our text, like the rest of the book of Revelation, is extremely practical. The book of Revelation is an apocalyptic book. It belongs in a genre of scripture that is really prophetic. 
Now, you need to understand, and Pastor Conway's been talking to us about this throughout the series, that the point of prophecy in the Bible is never speculative. The point of prophecy in the Bible is never academic. It is never theoretical. That's why when you heard we were going to be back in Revelation this week, many of you did not shout because you have been hardwired to think that somehow Revelation does not apply to you. Revelation applies to us. You know what the book of Revelation is like? It's sort of like seeing a suspense movie the second time. You ever seen a real cliffhanger a second time with someone who was seeing it their first time? Notice the difference between the two people. One person is on the edge of their seat. Their heart rate is up. The blood pressure is pumping. The other person is calm, cool, and collected. Even when everything should be saying, I should be freaking out. What's the difference? I know how this baby ends. Revelation is a fast forward into the future meant to give us practical patience and peace and joy in the midst of troublesome circumstances because we know how this baby be ends. And in the end, we are victorious. So Revelation 12, this passage is extremely practical. It lets us to understand not only the opposition we face, but the victory over the opposition that is already ours. Now, I need you to give me about two minutes. Uh, we, we need to just deal with some imagery here. I promise you, I'm coming to your neighborhood. I'm going to come into your house, put my feet all up on your coffee table. We're going to make this really practical today, but let's do a little bit of work. Verse 1 says this, and a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Wow. This ain't bedtime reading. This is bizarre. What does this mean? Who is this woman who is clothed with the sun, the moon, and has a crown of 12 stars. In order to get that, you have to go to Genesis chapter 37. In Genesis chapter 37, there is a guy by the name of Joseph. Joseph is talking to his 11 brothers. All 12 of them are sons of Jacob. Jacob's name would later be turned into Israel. So that these are the sons of Israel. Jacob, a son of Israel, says to his 11 brothers, look at it with me. Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, speaking of his brothers, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. So that we understand, John is borrowing imagery from Genesis chapter 37. And who are the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars? They represent Israel. So now we can rightly divide it. This woman represents Israel, but there's more. Verse 2, she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head seven diadems. And verse, verse 4, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, watch it 
prophet now who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth, watch it now, to a male child, one who is, don't miss it, to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Get the picture. We know from verse 1, this woman is Jewish. We also know she is about to give birth to a male child who the dragon wants to devour. That male child is described as one who will rule all the nations with a rod of iron. That child is Jesus. Therefore, the woman giving birth to him is Mary. But there's more. Later on, we are told some more. Verse 7 Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. He was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, here it is, don't need to do any kind of seminary classes to figure this out, who is the dragon who is called the devil and Satan. But there's more. Verse 17, fasten your seatbelts. Then the dragon became furious with the woman who is Mary and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Translation, that's us. You with me? The woman is Jewish. She's Mary. The male child who will rule all the nations with a rod of iron is Christ. The red dragon is Satan. Satan is frustrated. He gets defeated. He's thrown down to earth. And what does he do? He goes to make war with her offspring. Because we are in Christ, those of us who are saved, we are the offspring of this woman. Which means when you got saved, here's the expectation, you did not enter into a safe, comfy environment. You were born in a time of war. Satan has an agenda on your life. It is to make war on you because he hates Christ and you are in Christ. There is a demonic realm. And you have to open your eyes to this principle. How do I understand this? Ephesians 6.12 says this. Paul writes, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, he's saying, your enemy ain't your spouse. Your enemy ain't your mama. Your enemy ain't your mama-in-law who's coming to town this week is going to get on your last nerve. Your enemy ain't that child. Your enemy ain't your boss. Open your eyes. There is a greater enemy. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The enemy has an assignment on your life. 
he is trying to, watch it now, steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't just want to wound you. He doesn't want to just hurt you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your peace. He wants to destroy your children. He wants to destroy your reputation. He will not rest until he has destroyed you. But you need not fear. Our text tells us, look at it with me, verse 8. Our text says, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Wait a minute, Pastor. I hear you. I'm with you. But I'm reading the text. He was defeated, the text says, in heaven. I ain't in heaven. I'm here on earth. It don't feel like he's defeated. What you'd have to understand is that in the Bible, particularly in Revelation, particularly in Revelation 12, watch it now, don't miss this, there is a connection between heaven and earth. There is a connection between the invisible realm, what we don't see, and the natural realm, what we do see. That's why Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he taught us to pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Watch it now. On earth as it is in heaven. There is a connection between the two realms. So if he is defeated in the invisible realm, he is defeated in the natural realm. Are you with me? Let me explain this to you. Uh, I, I, my, my wife and I have a financial uh, planner, fi financial advisor. I want to encourage all of you all to do that. Um, some of y'all like, I'm broke. I don't, I don't need one. You especially need one <laughs> if you're broke. If Bill Gates can have a financial planner, you should have a financial advisor. And so we're sitting with our fi financial advisor, and our financial advisor, who knows everything about us, has access to all of our information. It's quite uncomfortable. Um, she, says to, she says to me, uh, uh, Pastor, let me give you a cheat code here. I says, what are you talking about? She says, I just want to bless you. I actually want you, I see you've got several savings accounts. I want you to actually open up another savings account. I says, that's kind of weird. We've got several already. She goes, yes, um, but I want you to open up another one. Just trust me on this. I says, okay, now what's the name of it? She tells me the name of it. I say to her, I've never heard of this savings account before in my life. Is there a location, I asked her. Is there a location near me? She says, that's the cheat code. This savings account has no location. It is an invisible savings account that's solely online. It has no bricks and mortar. Here's the cheat code. Because it has no bricks and mortar, it has low overhead. And because it has low overhead, you get a higher return on what you lay up and deposit in that account that has no physical location. You can't drive to this physical location, uh, to this uh, invisible location. You can't stand in line in this invisible location. So every single month, by faith, my wife and I take our resources in our physical location and, and transfer them to a location we've never seen before. By faith, we just transfer them. We, in fact, I, I, I love it. We, we just kind of get out our devices and we just make the transfer. Now, there are times where we have found ourselves in our physical location in need of resources. And when we need these resources, I ain't got to drive to this location. 
There is no location to drive to. I don't stand in line. I don't fill out any paperwork. There is no paperwork. I just simply, wherever I am, get out my device and take the resources from a location I've never been to or seen before in my life and apply those, those resources from that invisible place so that I get what I need in the physical place. I'm like Mavis Staples, y'all. I know a place, y'all. There is an invisible place called the heavenlies where there is abundant resources laid up for you. You can't drive there. You don't stand in line there. There's no paperwork there. But you have resources available to you, and you can get them by simply taking out your device called prayer. And when you pray, prayer then becomes the umbilical cord, transferring what you need laid up for you in the heavenly realms right where you are in the midst of the battle. And what you need is victory. But there's a problem. There's a problem. There is a demonic assignment on your life. In fact, in the book of Daniel, Daniel was praying and interceding on behalf of the nation of Israel. The archangel, Michael, comes to Daniel. He says, I would have got here sooner, but I was hung up with the prince of Persia. It's a demon. This is very interesting. That demon was assigned to a physical place, Persia. I believe what that text is telling us is there are demonic assignments. Demonic assignments over your household. Demonic assignments over your seed, demonic assignments at your job, demonic assignments at the courthouse. There are, there are demons who are waiting. And all throughout this text, watch it now, wherever Satan is, there's conflict. There's opposition. In fact, the very name Satan means adversary. He's constantly coming against you. He's constantly attacking you. Watch it now. I call your attention to verse 17. Again, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off, watch it now, to make war on the rest of her offspring. Watch it now. He doesn't just make war on every Christian. Look at what the text says. Who does he make war on? On those who keep the commandments of God. Here's the blessing. So many times we look at, have you ever been in a season of your life that everything feels like it's going wrong? It's one thing after another after another. And I don't know about you, when problems come to my house, they never come up by themselves. They always bring their aunties and uncles and big mama and have a nice little family reunion right there on my front porch. And you're in these seasons of opposition and you think, what have I done wrong? The text says, Satan makes war not on folk who've done something wrong. He makes war on folk who are keeping the commandments of God, which means this, don't miss this. If you are experiencing demonic attack in your life, it means this. You are exactly where you're supposed to be, doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. That's why Ephesians 6 says, in the middle of spiritual warfare, Paul says, stand. He doesn't say run. 
The implication, if he would have said run, the implication would be you in the wrong place. No, he says stand. That word stand means you are exactly where you're supposed to be doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Opposition is God's way of confirmation over your life. Stand. Now watch it. Satan has two assignments on your life from this text. There are two things that he wants to do. Ultimately, he wants to devour you. How does he go about the business of devouring you? Watch it now. Verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. Here it is. The deceiver of the whole world. What is Satan up to in my life? He wants to destroy me. How does he do it? He begins with deception. The idea of the word deceive, it means to lead astray. It's in the present active, which means it's a continual leading astray. And oftentimes, deception means it has just enough truth to look acceptable. See, when we first see Satan in the Bible, he comes to Adam and Eve. And notice his first words to Eve are, did God really say? He doesn't say God didn't say. He just said, did God really say? He wants to open the door to a little bit of doubt. That's what he does. He, he deceives. Let me give you three ways in a list of about 100 that I believe God's at, at, Satan is at work seeking to deceive our culture right now. Three ways. I think one of the primary ways he's trying to deceive us is by getting us to lock into a phrase, and I need y'all to covenant with me not to use this language. There's language that has crept up in our culture in the last couple years that sounds so nice, but it's demonic. Well, it's my truth. No, 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 no. I'm down with it's, it's my experience. I'm down with it's my perspective. But when you say it's my truth, you are relegating truth and bringing it down on the same level as demonic lies. Jesus in John chapter 14 verse 6, he didn't come to give him just my truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, definite article, the truth, the life. There is one truth. And it is found in Jesus. Okay, all right, you're pushing against this whole idea of my truth? Okay, let's try this. When you're going down the road and it's a 45 mile per hour zone and you're driving 75 and the cop pulls you over for violating the truth, try telling that cop, uh, before you write that ticket, can I share my truth with you? There's a second way he's deceiving us. My truth, my therapist. I want you to hear me. I believe in therapy. I go to therapy. My wife and I go to therapy. My kids go to therapy. They've taken all my money. <laughs> go to therapy. Here's my problem. I think we have substituted therapists for the Holy Spirit. If I'm Satan, here's what I want you to do. Dealing with suicidal thoughts, 
dealing with depression, dealing with anxiety. Here's, here's, if I'm Satan, here's what I want you to do. Put all of that in a therapy box. Deal with demonic oppression solely through human means. That's what I want you to do. I want you to ignore me and pay a $150 an hour person, sometimes not even a saved person, to try to use human artillery against spiritual firepower. That's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. I'm not saying every episode of mental health is demonic. I am saying some is. So let's do this. Maybe we should go to the therapist and come home and slap some oil on ourselves. Maybe we should add to the therapist fasting and prayer because Jesus says this kind only comes out by fasting and prayer. Here's a third line of deception. My truth, my therapist, my body. Nah, this ain't no shouting sermon. Blame that on your pastor. He asked me to preach out of Revelation, okay? My body. I can wear what I want to wear. I can sleep with who I want to sleep with. And the Bible says, don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? I say this gently. Some of you all have had abortions, and I want you to hear me. There is grace and mercy. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west is as far as he has removed our sins. You have been forgiven. But it is a work of demonic deception for someone to have a life growing inside of them and to say it is my body and I get to do with that life what I want to do with it. That demonic lie has led to millions of babies being killed. And we want to fight Satan with government legislation. It is a lie from the pit. Now watch this. He deceives you. Get the, pro get the progression. All of us at various times are deceived. We fall into sin. And then what happens? Here's the next demonic assignment. Verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Here it is. Notice what it calls Satan. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, watch it now, who accuses them day and night. You get the progression? Satan deceives Brian. I buy into his lie in certain areas. I do the deed. Now what does he do? He doesn't leave me alone. He accuses me. Why is Satan acute? And watch it now. He is accusing me, the text says, day and night, nonstop. Why does he do that? Watch it now. Because Satan wants to get me ensnared, not just in guilt. He wants to get me ensnared in shame. You know the difference? 
Guilt says what I did was bad. Shame says I am bad. And some of us right now, we're bound in shame. There's a little, head, there's a little voice in our heads. Constantly working overtime to accuse us. Why does Satan go on and on accusing us? Watch it now. Because Satan understands you will only live to the level of your thoughts. Sometimes those demonic thoughts, he's actually used other human voices to implant in your spirit. A mama who didn't believe in you. A daddy who said you'd never be nothing. Kids who teased you relentlessly years ago, and that stuff they said about you stuck in your spirit. Some of you right now have gender confusion in the depths of your soul, and there's a voice that is saying to you right now, I am damaged goods and can never be used. Others of you right now have eating disorders because there's demonic voices of accusation telling you you're to this and you're to that. And some of you, he's taking you back to the abortion that you participated in years ago. Could have been a man, could have been a woman, and that voice is on repeat. Demonic voices of accusation. Why? Because if he can strip you of your confidence, if he can get you to buy into these accusations, you will never step out boldly and walk in your God-ordained destiny. Some of you, it's an ex-spouse. Y'all broke up years ago, an ex-boyfriend, an ex-girlfriend who verbally and emotionally and mentally abused you. And what they said about you has stuck. Now watch it. Accusations only work according to the audience. Did you get that? Accusations only work according to who you're, who you're talking to. There's a Michigan football head coach, a guy by the name of Jim Harbaugh, Harbaugh. He's being accused of some pretty bad stuff right now. He's being accused of running a football program that's been stealing signs from, another football pro, from other football programs. And they made those accusations to the governing body of college football called the NCAA. He's in trouble. But imagine if someone went to his next door neighbor and made those accusations. No big deal. Because accusations only work according to the audience. Look at what Satan does. Satan has messed up. End of verse 10, who accuses them day and night before our God. Satan's problem is that he's accusing you and I of stuff we've actually done, but he's accusing them to the wrong person. Why? Verse 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Get the picture. The picture is Satan has deceived you and I. He drags us into the courtroom to take us before God, our judge. 
But what Satan doesn't realize is that 1 John says that when we sin, watch it now, we have an advocate with the Father. That advocate, word means lawyer, is named Jesus. Get the picture. So Satan says, hey, God, just this week, uh, your son, uh, Brian Loritz, cussed somebody out. Jesus says, objection. I ain't objecting to whether or not he cussed somebody out. That happened. But it's covered by the blood. Later on, Satan accuses me of something else. Jesus says, objection. I'm not objecting to the fact he didn't do it. I'm objecting to the fact that he's bringing up stuff that's covered by the blood. Every single time you hear a word of accusation, you've got to become your best podcast preacher. And you've got to say to those demonic voices what Christ says, and that is you have already conquered by the blood of the Lamb. You are covered from head to toe by the blood as far as the east is from the west. Watch it now. You've conquered not by your perfect life. You've conquered and overcome by the blood. Watch it now. He says, let's go home on this, and by the word of your testimony. Testimony simply means to bear witness. I I, I grew up in a little small chocolate church on the south side of Atlanta. We weren't sophisticated. Like y'all pretty bougie folk on the north side of Dallas. We, we didn't have all this stuff. We, we had pews. We didn't even have air conditioning. Our, our air conditioning was a little wooden stick with a piece of cardboard stapled to it that had a picture of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on one side and an advertisement for a funeral home on the other side. Come on, go with me, somebody. Come on. We don't come a long way. We didn't have dance teams, my church. We didn't have sophisticated stuff. In fact, every Sunday, my church, we do a little something called a testimony service. Now, sometimes the saints would get, go a little over the line. I remember one lady talking about how she's praising God, Jehovah Jireh, because she hit he, she hit the lottery that week. She, her, no, her, her number hit, and now she wanted to tithe off of that. And sometimes you'd have to put the saints in timeout. But nevertheless, <laughs> I remember sitting there as a little boy, and I'd hear so, Sister So-and-so say, first give an honor to God who is the head of my life. And she starts talking about the pain in her body and how Jehovah Jireh showed up and healed her body. I remember hearing Deacon so-and-so talking about how he didn't have money to pay a certain bill. And all of a sudden, after praying and calling out to God, him walking to the mailbox, there's a check that showed up out of nowhere. I mean, this is Sunday in and Sunday out. And as a little boy, I remember thinking, if God can do it for them, he can do it for me. And later on in life, as I'm having to now get off of mama and daddy's coattails of faith, And I'm having to trust God for my own. God starts to show up in my own life and establishing a testimony in my own life. 
Times in which I've called out to God and I didn't know how I was going to make it and God showed up. Times in which my son Miles was at St. Jude's Children's Hospital with a rare blood disease. And the doctor said there was no cure. And for five years praying and crying out to God while watching a child suffer. Only to take him in January of 2015 for his annual physical. And watch the doctors scratch their head because they couldn't explain it. But the, but the rare blood disease was gone. I said I can explain it. I serve a God who is a healer. He says, you've got a testimony. You're here today, not because of the letters behind your name, not because of your social network, not because of what kind of car you drive or the amount of money in your bank account. You are here today because as my grandmama used to say, he has kept us from danger seen and unseen. There's stuff you don't even know about. There's a testimony. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Now, now, now. Now watch this. Here's how this relates to demonic attack. When my boys were young, we had a flight of stairs at our home there in Memphis. And they're like three, four, five years of age. And, and I'd be at the bottom of the steps and I'd, I'd say, come on, jump, jump. Just, just jump in my, I'm, I'm going to catch you. And they're crying, no, daddy, no, daddy. There's voices of doubt. No, Daddy, I can't. And we're going back and forth. Trust me. I promise you. I promise you. Just jump. Would you just trust me? And finally, they jump. And, and I'd go, gotcha. But that wasn't the end of it. The boys would then go back to the steps. And they go a little higher. And they jump. And I'd go, gotcha. Now they're running back to the steps. And they're going higher. And jumping and gotcha. And they keep going up and I'm finally say, oh, okay, game's over because I'm going to drop you and your mama's going to divorce me. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> what gave them the confidence to keep taking greater and greater risks? Because I was establishing a testimony of faithfulness in their life. And daddy's voice over time became greater than any other voice in their mind and something in them says if he could do it then he can do it again God says I got you I want to pray I want to pray I want to pray I want to make a call right now. Somebody in here, when we talked about demonic voices of accusation that are on repeat, someone's here today and there was a yes in their spirit. That's me. Demonic voices of doubt, demonic voices. Stuff my daddy said, stuff my mama said, stuff my ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, ex-spouse said. Demonic voices. Voices of accusation. 
If that's you, I want to I pray. We're, 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 we're so out of time right now. I'm not going to manipulate you, but if you wrestle with demonic voices of accusation, would you slip out of your seat? Would you meet me right down front? I want to pray. I want to pray. I want to pray. If that's you, yes, I see you coming. Yes, yes, I see you coming. Yes, I see you coming. If you, if you wrestle, if you, if you wrestle, Voices of accusation. Voices over and over and over again. Voices. And they manifest themselves differently, but there's voices. I'm wrestling, I'm wrestling, I'm wrestling. Voices over stuff you've done in your past. Stuff over mistakes you've made. Or maybe it wasn't anything you did, but something was said and it was deposited into your spirit and it stuck. Someone right now, there's a tug of war in your spirit. Right now, there's demonic voices. Right now in your spirit, you don't need to slip out. You don't need to come, up, come down front. We bind that spirit right now in the name of Jesus. Still coming. I'm not here to manipulate the moment. Still, still coming. Still coming. Yes, I see you coming. Still coming. Still coming. Still coming. Still coming. We're coming against demonic voices of accusation. Still coming. Still coming. Still coming. Still coming. Still coming. Yes, 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 yes. Still, still coming. 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 Still coming, still coming, still coming, still coming. Now, here's what Satan wants to do in this moment. Satan, what he wants to do in this moment, he doesn't want you to get free. He wants to distract you. Let us not allow Satan to use us as distractions. If you're in your seats, if you're in your seats, I want you to stand right now. If you're in your seats, I want you to stand right now. Here's the picture. Some years ago, I was watching, I think it was the Discovery Channel, and there was, there was a group of lions who were chasing a young wildebeest who had gotten away from the herd. And I'm watching this thing, thinking the wildebeest is done. And then I saw one of the most moving sights, the adult wildebeest ran towards the lion who was chasing the young wildebeest and they formed a circle around that young wildebeest and the lion stopped in its track. 1 Peter 5 says, Satan goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Here's the picture. People down front have come saying voices of accusation. I want you in the audience to form a circle around them. Here's what I, I want you to grab the hand next to you in the audience. Grab the hand next to you. I even want you, if you can, if you can, to stretch out across the aisles. It's the picture. It's the body of Christ filled with the Spirit of God saying, Satan, stop right there. Go no further. Today is the day of deliverance. 
Today is the day of victory. If you're down front, I want you to turn around and I want you to see the picture. If you came down front, I want you to turn around and I want you to see in the natural what I believe what God is doing in the supernatural. I'm going to pray. But the Bible says one can put a thousand to flight. Two can put 10,000 to flight. Right now, all over the room, I want you to pray for my brothers and sisters. I want you to pray out loud. I want the heavenlies to hear our prayers. Pray for a cessation of demonic voices of accusation that it stops today. All over the room right now, we're praying. Pray out loud. Pray out loud. Call on him. Call on him. in your prayers. Storm the gates of hell. Father God, your word says you will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Father, your word says, Romans chapter 12, that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Right now, right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, we plead the blood of Jesus over every mind at this altar. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we bind the enemy. We declare right now that there will be victory over these voices of accusation, that we have conquered by the blood of the Lamb. We have conquered by the word of our testimony. Right now, Lord God, we, we declare that right now in the name of Jesus. Father God, right now, may we get rid of any possibility of a demonic foothold into our minds and into our homes. Whatever it is that we're watching, whatever paraphernalia we may have, which may pr provide a demonic pathway, we bind it and get rid of it right now in the name of Jesus. And we declare right now peace. We declare right now peace of mind in the name of Jesus. We declare the end of suicidal thoughts. We declare right now the end of demonic oppression right now in the name of Jesus. We declare, Lord God, an end to generational curses in the name of Jesus. That today marks a new day, a day marked by victory, a day marked by soundness of mind. For this is how we fight our battles. We know we are surrounded by you.